Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. So many of us say, I'm sorry, only begrudgingly, and sometimes only under great pressure. And saying it while really meaning it, that is even rarer. But why is that true? What makes us so reluctant to admit that we're wrong, to apologize to someone we have wronged, and to move forward? Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg is a writer whose latest book takes a deep dive into the dynamics of our sorry, not sorry culture. She joins next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. They're the two words that are probably the hardest for people to string together, at least many people. I'm sorry. And it's even harder in some cases to utter that phrase and really mean what you're saying. I mean, to really be repentful for something that you've done or said, or maybe even for something that you've not done or said. How often do we walk around sheepishly acting as though we haven't done something egregious to someone else? hoping that uh, time will allow them to forget or that you'll just kind of both quietly agree to move on to something else. We all do it. And I think it's a big part of many, many relationships. And as Americans, I think it seems like there's a particularly acute trouble that we have with all of this. And that's at least in part because of our history, right? Uh, Think of all the people that we as a nation have wronged or hurt or virtually destroyed. And the scope and the length of the atrocity makes it even less likely, at least as we've demonstrated, that we'll ever bring ourselves to apologize, to say earnestly, we're sorry. I'm sorry. Admitting fault and committing to a different set of actions, it's just really hard work. That's because I think it's really scary to feel that vulnerable. No one wants to admit that they're at fault, partially because mostly people don't do that intentionally. When I wrong someone, the last thing I want to do is shine a light on my misdeeds to the person who maybe is now suffering. I'd rather crawl into a hole and never talk about it again. And I guess I think there are people who think that's the right approach. 
that we're all better off simply moving on, that apologies show weakness, and that we can't get to the future by focusing on the past. But maybe the opposite approach is the better one. Maybe we can't actually navigate the future without seizing on the past, taking accountability for it, acknowledging our mistakes. Maybe we need to get more comfortable being wrong by repenting for our mishaps and creating avenues for repair. Think about the season that's coming up and how critical this dynamic is in all of the things that we're about to do. Next week is Thanksgiving, and most of us will try to gather with family and other people really close to us, and we'll lean into the relationships and the connections we have with those people. We'll lean into the past that exists between us and those people. But how often are we also avoiding an apology in those relationships? I mean, how many people are we going to see around the Thanksgiving table whom we've had some difficulty with, whom maybe we've done something to that deserves an apology? Your family, your spouse, your children. How often are we really just sitting there dodging, hoping that the person that we've wronged or the people that we've wronged maybe just don't remember? Maybe have just agreed, hey, well, it's better if we just move on from all of this. We want to hear from you, of course, during the hour about apologies. Is there a particular apology that you've issued, for instance, that you really remember, that you really had to think hard about and work yourself up to? What did it mean? How did it change the relationship? Did it help you move forward? And just as important, call and tell us if you owe somebody an apology and can't bring yourself to issue it. Can't figure out a way to humble yourself or to make yourself vulnerable and say, I did that or I said that and I shouldn't have and I'm sorry. What will it take to get you to that point? And what do you imagine would be on the other side of that apology? Something worse? or something better. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and comment there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg is a writer who has been thinking a lot about these things. And her latest book is called On Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. 
In the book, she explores why Americans are particularly bad at apology and repentance. She looks at how to actually do repentance and repair, and why personally getting better at all of this will make us better at it as a nation. Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, why do Americans have such a difficulty with this? And I think that's it's a really keen observation. There is something about who we are, and I think perhaps the connection between this problem, the, the inability or unwillingness to apologize, and myth-making, right, that we tell ourselves lies, really, about who we are, and that makes it difficult then to, to apologize f- to someone for something that contradicts that myth that we hold about ourselves. But, but talk about that in the American context. What is it about us that brings us to this difficulty? Absolutely. Um, I absolutely agree with you. And, and I think there are a number of things that have sort of come together to make a very particularly difficult stew for us. Uh, the first thing is our individualism, right? We are an uniquely, extremely individualistic culture, and that hurts us. I mean, you know, it's been noted on, on scales and, you know, there's research done, right? But when harm happens, we don't have that uh, sort of communal sense of, A, a group of people surrounding the harmed person saying, you know, are you okay? We will take care of you, and we will make sure that justice and, and accountability happens for you, and that, B, there isn't a group of people surrounding the harm doer saying, A, hey, that wasn't right. You have to make that right. And B, come on, we know you, and we know that you can do better. We know that this isn't your best self, and we're going to help you go back to being who we know you can be. Right? That rugged individualism has everybody kind of hiding in their corners. They don't want to get involved. They don't know what to say. Right? It's not my problem. So that's one piece of it. Right? And so that people kind of stay away and don't get involved when mm-hmm. there's harm. And um, then, you know, we've got this capitalism, right? We've got this desire for quick fixes. So when harm happens, like people want the instant gratification. They don't want to, you know, it's like if anything happens, A, it's like, it's not really my fault. And B, like, oh, you know, I mumble, I'm sorry. And then it should totally be done. What do you mean that we have to have a long, deep process that's actually hard, but meaningful and transformative, right? That, that doesn't occur to anybody because we want things fast and easy. Um, and then, you know, our culture is deeply, deeply, deeply attached to the idea of forgiveness as the greatest good. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, 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 is, it is lovely, and, and there, you know, there are theological goods to it, right? That I know, you know, in Christianity, parts of Christianity, it's very important, but it can harm us, right? If the, the harm happens, and you, the first thing you do is you say to the person who's sitting on the ground in pain, you need to forgive. Like you're putting labor on 
the person who's sitting there in pain. <laughs> you're not asking anything of the harm doer, right? Nothing is going to change in the system that, that enabled this person to do this bad thing. We're not asking them to change. We're not doing anything to prevent future victims. We're not telling them that they need to alter anything or change systems. We're just saying to the victim, come on, you need to do some real emotional work because, <laughs> you know, while you're bleeding out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to talk a little about uh, how this surfaces in in our history in in this country and mm-hmm. and in the context of of race and i think you can't yep. talk about apology in america without talking about race just like you can't talk about it without talking about um uh, some other things like uh, just you know ethnicity or or, or gender but um right. uh, but talk <laughs> about I mean, we have a lot to apologize for, right? Um, But but talk about some of white people's reactions after the Civil War and how one historical figure, Henry Ward Beecher, kind of covered up the idea of apology and wanted to move on without repentance and how this was kind of representative of the actions that many non-black Americans were, were kind of indulging. And so this is the real reason I believe that forgiveness culture is uniquely strong in American culture, why we, are, we, have, we have become so attached to forgiveness. So after the Civil War, um, like within a year or so, um, even, even immediately after the Civil War, white northern preachers, even some of whom were abolitionists, began preaching that we should unconditionally forgive the Southern enslavers who had gone to war to protect the institution of slavery um, because we're all brothers, um, because unity is really important. And the political uh, idea is, right, we were, we were just torn apart as a country. We need to come back together and be one country. But what they were saying were things like, if you see, like, do not trouble yourself. This is a literal quote. Do not trouble yourself with reports of what you're seeing in the newspaper of the, basically, horrors that white people are inflicting upon black Americans in the South, right? Newly freed mm-hmm. or already emancipated, and it's, you know, lynching or worse. And they're like, don't worry about it. That's not your problem, we need to forgive and love these white enslavers and be buddies again. And what they were doing, consciously or unconsciously, was reinscribing white supremacy at a moment when it was at risk. Hmm. Because if at that moment they had held the white the enslavers to uh, account in a deeper way, that would have opened up a possibility for uh, more racial equality and would have put their own superior status at risk. But this was a way to throw black Americans under the bus, right? We, uh, we forgive the white people. We're buddies again. <laughs> and so our unity is coming at whose expense, right? We're ignoring everything that's happening to, to the other guys. And so this forgive without reflection, without asking anything of the people who have caused harm is deeply tied to white supremacy in America. And at the time, people were not having it, right? You, uh, black and white, um, 
uh, activists, um, include you know, including Frederick Douglass, the great mm-hmm. orator, um, were saying things like, "I'd be glad to." you know, bring in any Southerner who is willing to do some work and acknowledge that there was <laughs> something bad that happened. <laughs> it was not okay. You enslaved human beings. Uh, but I can't just forget everything that they did and without, you know, like, we can't just, there has to be a conversation. You guys, repentance is important. Yeah. Um, but we didn't do that and we didn't ask for justice. And... Mm. You know, it's at at whose expense? It's you know, we the people who are wronged, right? Uh, right. Yeah, right. It's always at the victim's expense, and uh, you know, in this case, it was created. <laughs> it was, it was a, the, the the recreation of a racist country um, at and, a moment when we didn't have to do that. And, and again, this this idea of the role that myth-making plays in in mm-hmm. all of this, this idea that we do want to tell ourselves at all times that uh, ultimately we're, we're, we're good people. No matter what we've done or no matter what has happened, we want to say, well, I'm still a really good person. And even if I feel sorry for that, but uh, I don't want to say it because that acknowledges and highlights the ways in which maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm not a perfect person. And there, there is something uniquely, as you say, American about that perfection. Um, we uh, use that word in, in the American context all the time. Right. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's people have this, have, have somehow, and I, I have my theories about why, uh, you know, go there too, but, you know, we've internalized this notion that, uh, you know, your inner self is what matters as opposed to your choice, your, you know, it's, it's faith, not works, right? It's your, <laughs> your inner self rather than your ex the world. And so if you say something racist, you hear immediately like, I'm not racist. I can't be racist. They don't have a racist bone in their body. And it's like, we're not talking about your bones. We're talking about the words that you choose, chose to, you know, bring out of your mouth intentionally or unintentionally cause harm to other people, you know, take responsibility for that. And listen, we all live in a white supremacist society. We've all been drinking this orange juice. And the way to move forward on a journey of anti-racism is to say, like, sometimes I say or do racist things, uh, whether or not I'm trying to, because, uh, you know, I've been indoctrinated and... You know, I've got to notice that, clean it up, and and learn and do better. And um, and the refusal, and the denial, and the doubling down. I can't possibly be racist, or I didn't, I didn't mean to, whatever. So I can't. I'm not responsible for taking, taking, cleaning this up, helping you. Um, it has caused so much harm to victims who are sitting there wounded and, and in need of care and attention and justice. Yeah, yeah. 
we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about repentance and apology, forgiveness, and all of those concepts uh, with Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. Uh, we want to get going on the phones and on social as well. Give us a call and tell us how easy is it for you to apologize? Uh, do you find that something that you do frequently? Uh, or is it something that you do only begrudgingly, uh, maybe under great pressure? Why is that? Uh, how do you sort through that in your mind? Also, let us know what you're thinking of as we get closer to the holidays, when you're going to see people that, uh, in lots of cases, you may owe an apology, or who may owe you an apology, our families, our spouses, our children. Uh, how are you going to handle all of those things? Uh, you can also get uh, to us on Twitter, uh, hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Our guest today is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. She's an award-winning author and writer, and her latest book is On Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. That is what we're talking about. Apologies. Uh, I'm sorry, that phrase. How difficult it is for so many of us to say really difficult also for those of us who say it sometimes to really mean it, to really be genuinely sorry and to repent for the things that we do that are wrong or the things that we say that are wrong or the things that we don't do or say uh, that amount to some sort of transgression. Uh, we want to hear from you uh, during this conversation. Give us a call and tell us whether this is something you have trouble with, whether uh, this is something that you try to avoid, maybe at all costs, saying I'm sorry to someone. Why is that? Why do you have a hard time with it? Uh, also tell us what you're thinking as we get closer to the holidays and you're going to see lots of people uh, that are close to you and those are often the people that we have this problem with, um, let us know. Um, let us know that uh, uh, what you're what you're anticipating for Thanksgiving, especially next week. As always, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Daniel, we've got folks uh, queued up to who who want to talk about this, but before we get to them, there is. Uh, a little more work I want to do, just kind of fleshing out what you're saying here. Um, you really talk a lot about the differences between repentance, forgiveness, and atonement. And, and mm -hmm. I, I want to talk about those distinctions because I think they're really important for the conversation. So um, I'm going to go backwards, I think. Well, I'll, I'll do a, a quickie. So repentance for me is not 
you know, I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think of, you know, feel bad, you know, feel <laughs> sorry, and that's kind of it. And in Judaism, repentance, actually, the word is chuvet. It means return. Come back to your, your integrity, your best self, who you were supposed to be all along. Come back to your relationship with God. Um, and um, that takes work, and that takes work. First of all, attending to the person that you harmed, right? You have to do the work to repair and heal what you broke and attend to the person that, that was, was injured. And it also involves transformation work to deal with why you did the harmful thing and become the kind of person who doesn't do that again. So that's repentance. That's a lot of work. And there's steps. And that's the heart of the book. And we can talk about the steps if you want. Um, then atonement. So, and repentance is either the work you do, uh, you know, if you screwed up in your relationship to the divine, that's a whole other thing, but the, really it's like the interpersonal work you do to take care of the other person and to change yourself. Hmm. Uh, atonement is, for us is a theological concept. Atonement is something that happens between the person and the divine, and it's a kind of a wiping clean, uh, fresh start kind of a thing, but it's a theological concept and it's like a you know Yom Kippur Day of Atonement, your wedding, your day of death, other times, but um, yeah, it's not an interpersonal thing at all. And repentance and forgiveness are totally separate tracks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can do there, this sentence does not exist in Judaism. The following sentence: You need to forgive me so that I can finish my repentance work. It does. There's no doesn't <laughs> exist. They're not intertwined. Um, the person who does their repentance work needs to go and make amends and apologize multiple times. Right? They apologize once, and if it doesn't land, they come back with an accountability team, you know, possibly like multiple times. There's a whole thing about this. Um, but the, the, ultimately, if the apology doesn't land a certain number of times, they're free to go ask God for forgiveness on Yom Kippur. Right? They're, they're doing their repentance work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who was harmed has their own process around forgiveness and what that looks like. And for us, forgiveness is not a warm, fuzzy, emotional thing. It's a clearing of the slate. It's like, uh, fine, this is done. You don't owe me anything from this anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all it is. It's not... We don't have to be friends again. I don't have to like you. I don't ever want to talk to you again. It just means, like, fine, case closed. Um, And um, I believe really, really, like, my reading of the texts, and I can go into how and where and da-da-da-da, but I really believe that the texts say that if you were harmed in a way that, that can never be repaired, you never have to forgive. So you never have to forgive your abuser, ever. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think that's something that, that gets dropped a lot in sure. popular conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll work into the conversation that way. Let's start today with B in Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Hello. Can you hear me? I sure can. Hi. Okay, well, thank you very much. First of all, I'd like to say I agree with everything the rabbi has said. Um, I am in AA. That's why I'm not giving my full name. And I have found that, you know, making amends is crucial to our recovery. 
Mm-hmm. And I would like a couple of things that amends, the word amends itself, it does not mean change like a lot of people think. It's recompense for grievance or injury. And that's something that I have to make amends. I have to right the wrong that I have done. And I can tell you from one of your experiences, I had to go to someone who fired me because I was in the wrong, hmm. even though he fired me. And it was truly liberating and eye-opening experience. And um, I'd also like to say that until I started to learn this concept of making amends, if I did something wrong, I would do this doubling down. I would want to feel defensive and try to rationalize to myself that I had not done something wrong. But now I have learned to take responsibility for my actions as soon as possible. And the other thing, though, the one thing I do disagree with is forgiveness. I think it's crucial for our own well-being for us to forgive. It has nothing to do with the perpetrator. Hmm. It has everything to do with our serenity. And if we hold on to resentments, my favorite um, way of looking at that is it's like me drinking the poison and waiting for you to die. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. B, I, I really love that you called and and shared uh, all of that. And, I, I, you know, I, I guess I hadn't thought when we started this conversation about the role of apology and repentance in in the AA or the recovery process. I mean, that, that is a crucial uh, a crucial part of, uh, of all of that. Uh, Rabbi, what's your reaction to uh, what he's talking about? So, all, so, you know, yes to all of the things, basically. Um, so, but first of all, I want to clarify what I was saying about forgiveness. Um, I absolutely agree that it can be healing and liberating. And uh, in Judaism, we talk about obligation versus not obligation a lot. And that's in the system of Jewish law. Um, but for us, you don't have to forgive the person that harmed you. In, but if it happens organically as part of your healing process, it's fabulous, and that's great, and it's liberating. But I think a lot of people feel like they're supposed to, and they're, they're, they've got to. And there's, they, you know, that, that like you're supposed to forgive feeling is sitting on their head, and it's, um, it's weighty. And when somebody has done unspeakable harm to you, I think giving people permission to experience and relate to that in any way they need and to heal however they need, whether or not there's forgiveness involved is, is really, um, is really crucial. And to let everybody have their own relationship to the forgiveness of the, the harm that, mm-hmm. that was caused to them. Right. Um, and in terms of the amends, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. This is It is liberating to be able to free yourself from the burden of the darkness that you have brought into the world. Um, and, and it's really important to note that amends, you don't do amends at somebody. You, uh, you know, the question is, what do you need? And because if you come in and you're paternalistically like, well, I harmed you, so here I'm going to give you this and this and this, and the harmed person is like, well, that's not that's not useful to me. Like you're still treating them like an object um, instead of uh, honoring their subjecthood. You have to yeah. say, what do you need? And then they'll say, actually, I don't need my medical bills paid. I have great insurance. What I really need is something else entirely, right? Um, but you have to, it has to be a, a conversation, and it yeah. can be a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, again, B, really appreciate the call and yeah. uh, your frankness uh, in it. Yeah, Let's go you. next to Sam in Mount Clemens. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, I guess I got to kind of roll with, with B. I never said this to you, but I am also an alcoholic in recovery. Um, when I told the screener, there's two, two apologies. Uh, I'm sorry. That just rolls off the tongue. And then the, the, when you're, be you really apologize, talk about it. Um, and what I was telling the screener also is it, it's, it's easy to say to, like, Hey, Steven, I'm sorry. I did this to you, but I, you know, I was drunk at the time or whatever mm-hmm. the case. You don't need to rationalize. No, just to really own it and to apologize. And it, 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 it is a liberating experience. I'm really glad you, uh, uh, you're having this discussion. Yeah. 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 Sam, I, I really love the call and, and the comments and that idea of genuineness of, of deeply feeling the apology that you're that you're giving that is one of the big that's one of the big problems i think is that uh it, it, that's the hard part is is doing it and and actually being being genuine about it uh, rabbi what's your what's your thought i totally agree 100 percent agree um this may be a good point for me to just quickly lay out what uh, Maimonides, who is the 12th century philosopher mm-hmm. that it sort of guides my work um, the stages of repentance that he lays out. So we talk about confession first, um, own the harm that you caused, no justifying, no, this is, you know, I really had good intentions, no hedging, no, you know, but I'm really a nice person, right? It's just, I, I did something, it wasn't okay. You know, A, mm-hmm. right? Confession. Um, you know, just as this last caller noted, then, but in, and ideally in public. So you're A, ending the gaslighting for the victim, and B, you know, asking for accountability, right? And saying, like, guys, I'm struggling. This isn't, I'm not, I'm not my best self today. I need, I'm, I'm harming people. Like, help me. <laughs> Number two, which is hard, like, makes it even harder. I understand. And this is, we want you to, to change for real. We want you to do the work for real. And you can't do it without support. So, uh, you, you know, this is an, an ask. It's an invitation in. Number two, start to change. What do you need to not cause the harm again? Do you need therapy? Do you need to call your sponsor? Do you need to ditch the friends that make you, you know, do this toxic behavior? If we're talking about institutional harm, you need to change your, change your HR policies. Do you need to fire your entire board? You know, uh, you need to totally rethink what happens when there's medical malpractice, right? Um, uh, do you need to pass new legislation? Mm-hmm. What needs to change so that the thing won't happen again? Then, number three, then we get into amends, which we talked about, and then there's the apology, which comes from, uh, as, as this last caller was saying, a deeper place. Right, because you've been doing. If you do the apology at the top before you've really done the work, it's going to be superficial. It's going to be like my my publicist wrote this, and now I'm putting it on Instagram instead of oh, 
I, you know, done all this therapy. <laughs> I've, I've been, you know, so starting to change also could be education, right? And something where you've been ignorant. Like, I need to learn more about anti-racism. I need to learn more about trans liberation. And by then you've like been doing all this work and changing. And you, you heard what they needed for men's, which is also an education. And now you're like, oh, I can't <laughs> what I did. Oh, my goodness. And then it's like, I'm so sorry. It comes from the real place. And then naturally and organically, you get to stage five, which is never doing the thing ever again. Right. Yeah. Even when you have the opportunity. Right. Right. Uh, okay. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about apologies and repentance and forgiveness with Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. John in Royal Oak, Mary in Auburn Hills, Nancy in Dearborn. We'll get to you next if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number here. 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. Uh, she's an award winning author and writer. Her latest book is On Repentance and Repair Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. We're talking about apology, how difficult that is for so many of us, why that's true, and how doing better with that. Uh, leaning more into that space could make us better uh, as, a, as a nation, could make us uh, more sort of culturally inclined to, um, to apologize for things. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call and tell us how difficult it is for you to apologize for things you've said or done. Uh, if you're thinking about next week and when you're going to see people who are close to you, maybe for the first time in a long time, uh, those tend to be the people that we have these kinds of dynamics with. Uh, what are you anticipating for Thanksgiving dinner next week? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the Facebook, I'm sorry, to Twitter uh, and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I want to read uh, a Twitter quote uh, to start this part of the conversation uh, from Ed he says, we live in a world where you need to hide for because thoughts of CRT, critical race theory, cause 48% of the country uh, to lose their minds. He says, well, mm -hmm. I say, sorry, you can't handle the truth. Um, this brings us back to, to, I think, the questions about uh, the ways in which um, racial forgiveness, atonement, apology, all of those things uh, really trip us up and, and are really at the center, I think, of, of much of the American problem uh, around that. I, I, I guess what, what I'd love to, to talk more about is how we get to a space where um, where people aren't as triggered by, by these things, right? Critical race theory is a a very simple theory that says uh, the things that happen 
today uh, are influenced by uh, the things that happened before. And in a racial context, that means that slavery and Jim Crow and, and even uh, modern discrimination um, have very long, uh, very long arms, right? Uh, they have uh, an incredible reach into our lives every day. That, 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 shouldn't, be, um, that shouldn't be that controversial. And yet, uh, so many white Americans hear that or read that and feel attacked, feel uh, pointed out, and then go into that mode of saying, well, I didn't do anything. I'm not responsible for this. I'm not going to say I'm sorry, but I'm also not going to move to a space where I try to repair the things that, uh, that were done before. So when we refuse to acknowledge that we have caused harm, we keep causing harm, right? Straight up, right? If I refuse to deal with my anger problems, I'm going to keep uh, exploding at, uh, you know, my spouse every time I come home from a hard day at work, right? And I'm just going to keep doing that, and maybe then I divorce, and then who I explode at comes up with it's somebody else, right? But it, it's going to be the same pattern repeating. And when we refuse to deal with our problems, we, we keep repeating them. Right, we go from slavery to Jim Crow to for slavery to lynching to Jim Crow to redlining, or redlining to Jim Crow to mass incarceration to voter suppression. Right, it's, it's it is the same harm again and again. This is what, what critical race theory is is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and until we start to do the work of repentance and repair, we will continue to um, will continue to to repeat them. And, uh, you know, the 1619 Project, which is, for anybody who does not know, uh, is an extraordinary gift of truth-telling and bringing out um, some of, you know, what is, what has been, to start that conversation as an invitation to the confession step, right? Those who are harmed cannot... um, themselves do confession work right? it's, it's the harm doers job but it's basically saying like guys can we, can we talk about this and america's response was to pass a bunch of laws that said no no we cannot <laughs> we will not teach accurate history ever um and so basically america needs to start dealing with the truth telling and uh until we do that we're going to keep doing this but what i've learned from studying other countries um, and I've had, you know, I did a deep dive at Canada and South Africa and Germany's reckoning with the Holocaust. And I think what I learned most from Germany is that um, the possibilities, you know, if it's not coming from top down, it can be forced from ground up. But, you know, waves of student protests um, and then waves of artists and and thinkers, you know, doing like, you know, rogue installations about, like, here in this town, this is where, you know, a bunch of Jews were shot and burned, and this over here is where, you know, gay people were tortured, and, like, you know, they would start to do installations around town to force people to talk about it. Oh, look, our mayor was a Nazi here. We're going to do a whole memorial about that. Um, and it was like, they started to force the question, just like the 1619 Project started to force the question into view. And I just think we have to continue to force the conversation and force the conversation, force the conversation until those with structural power 
are willing to make space for an honest truth telling. Yeah. That's yeah. the only way. So, so what do you make though of the conversations that are taking place about reparations and, and how much further they seem to be going now than they did even just a few years ago. There, there is momentum behind this that uh, that's not capturing everybody, of course, but, uh, but I think there are more people of the mind of at least considering it. So uh, this is, again, to hold up the role of artists and thinkers in this work. Like, thank you, Tanahasi Coates, who pretty much kick-started sure. this wave of thinking. Um, I want to remind people, you know, repair, repair-ations is a crucial piece of, of thinking about the immense death. But the work, step two, is start to change so the harm doesn't happen again. If we, as a country, do something like cut a check, a one-time check, throw it out to a bunch of people and say, look, there we did, reparations were done, and continue white supremacist business as usual, right, with the gerrymandering and the voter suppression and the mass incarceration and, you know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, racial, uh, you know, um, you know health care and um, all of the other places where um, white supremacist work is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> systemic racism, that's the word. Where systemic right. racism right. plays out. The word, like, I was like, could not pull up that word in my brain. Like, systemic racism exists in our, you know, professional lives, in, in healthcare, um, in every aspect of our society. And if we don't deal with that, if we just throw out some money <laughs> and don't uproot it, then we have not done the work and we will continue causing the same harms and nothing's, nothing's changed really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Nancy in Dearborn, who's got uh, something to say that uh, fits perfectly with what we're talking about here. Nancy, go ahead. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> I'm so grateful that you moved to the critical race theory level of the conversation because um, as a white female whose roots are in the South, I've, over the last years, tried to research and speak out against the sins of the father, so to speak, or some part, not everybody in my family. And I'm not always getting the, the reception that I thought I would. This was my way to say I'm sorry because um, I haven't physically myself done anything. I may have perpetuated along the way. So I'm just wondering... What is it? Some way to look at this issue when I try to speak out against those wrongs, and I'm, I think, misunderstood in ways that may say, um, "What right do you have to speak out?" or whatever. I'll, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. That's what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. Nancy, I really, really appreciate that call and that point. Uh, uh, Danya, what's what's the answer here? Um, a Nancy, amazing work at that confession step. Um, <laughs> it is praiseworthy to do in public. Bing, 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 you know, gold star. Um, uh, the extraordinary writer and activist, Maryam Kaba, who I think will be thought of as one of the greats of this generation soon, um, talks about, you know, when you want to get involved, the first step is to look around and say, who here is doing the work? And what do I have to offer? 
And, and, you know, to just start there, who has expertise? Um, and so that is step one. I, I, we need everybody on deck to make change, right? Uh, <laughs> we're not going to fix systemic racism if it's only black people or, uh, you know, black people and other people of color mm-hmm. who are doing the heavy lifting and white people are sitting around on their couches, right? We need everybody showing up. So, you know, do the research to figure out what organizations are local to you that are doing important racial justice work, whether that's, uh, you know, addressing police violence, whether that's addressing voter suppression, whether that's uh, addressing, uh, you know, racial and economic inequality, whether that's, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the work is that feels like where you're ca- called to be doing the work and figure out what you have to offer, whether that's time, talent, money, the, um, and, you know, start getting involved. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has everyone has a role Absolutely. to play in, in all of this. Uh, thanks so much for the call, Nancy. Let's go next to John in Royal Oak. John, welcome to the show. Yes, sir. Uh, I've, after listening to everybody, want to do the most careful job I can to describe what I think would help all of us and after just going through a rough relationship where I felt like I was carrying the uh, responsibility too much and several conversations of please me, at least meet me 50 50. Um, mm-hmm. And then that, that just couldn't happen. And it was very sad, but at the same time, I'm a single dad of two sons, eight and 10. And in uh, my, well, I grew up in the seventies, eighties and uh, my father just could never say he was sorry. And neither mm-hmm. could my mom. And I didn't even realize they weren't perfect until I started meeting other parents as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm very careful with my children to make sure I tell them, I'm sorry. Yes. I, I lost my cool. Or yes. what I did was wrong. Yeah. And and they're growing up to be very um, accountable. <laughs> and I think that, you know, with a lot of people who are older, uh, in our culture, it might be, you know, might seem like it's too late for a lot of people because they're, they're already set in their ways. But what we can do as parents and in this day is bring up our children to, so that they know we're not perfect, you're not perfect, and watch out for that. And yeah. there can be a greater self-awareness. Yeah. John, I, I love I love what you're saying. Um, uh, we've only got about a minute left, uh, Danya, but, but I really want to hear your response to that. Absolutely. We have to model taking responsibility for our own harms, and we have to te- give kids the tools. My kids, when harm cause, is caused, they don't run and say, I'm sorry. They say, are you okay? What do you need? What do you want? And then they get into, I'm sorry, I did specific thing." And here's what I'm going to do to not do it again. And, of course, they're kids, and so naturally they do it again and again and again, and mostly it's like hitting each other, right? But I, I have given them the tools to understand that, like, running in and saying I'm sorry isn't the first step. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg, it was really great to have you here uh, with us to talk about apologies, uh, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us this week. 
Uh, come back on Monday when we are going to talk about DTE and its operations and a utility in California that operates similarly as a new rate hike will soon be decided on by the Michigan Public Utilities Commission. Really important topic, uh, especially as we get to the cold weather and people struggle to keep uh, the electricity and the gas on. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.